You're listening to Amy Keeps It Creepy, the podcast where I share my obsession with true crime and the paranormal with you. I'm your host, Amy Brooks. A love triangle with a dead chick. A talkative ghost with predictions of love, sex, and death. A dark and crowded basement that became spook central. This is the story of the ghost who called itself Nellie Butler, the first documented haunting in America. Hi, Creepsters. My YouTube channel is up. Yay! Check out Toxic Content on YouTube for my paranormal adventures. It's a brand new channel, so please support. I have dozens of super creepy episodes in the can, and I will be posting new content each week. This week, our episode was filmed in Los Angeles at Griffith Park, probably the most haunted place in LA. Definitely, I think it is. My experience was crazy. I hike up to Table 29. The picnic table where a couple was killed by a tree that fell on them while they were getting it on one fateful Halloween night. Wow, horrible way to die. Well, their families had the brilliant idea to sprinkle their ashes on their traumatic place of death. A sure recipe in making a ghost. Amazingly, the broken tree and picnic table still remain. I swear I was there. I sat on it. (laughs) And I truly believe the couple's spirits haunt the area. I recorded some spectacular EVPs of a male and female. You have to check it out. And if you are interested in the history and lore of Griffith Park, I did a podcast episode about it. Episode number three. Griffith J. Griffith is a fascinating character And so is the niece of the original landowner, who cursed the land because her uncle cut her out of his will. My YouTube channel is called Toxic Content, and the link is posted in the show notes and at creepypodcast.com. Please subscribe to the Amy Keeps It Creepy podcast and YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. I promise to creep you out. If you're obsessed with ghost stories, like me, you are going to love this episode. Unlike other ghost stories, this one is supported by extensive documentation and over 100 witnesses, many of whom gave sworn accounts and written statements about the events that transpired. The Machias Port Haunting is one of the most famous paranormal events in early America. And I must tell you that no other haunting has created such a firestorm of controversy, sparking accusations of fraud, witchcraft, and demonic activity. The events surrounding the Machias Port haunting remain one of the biggest paranormal mysteries in history. Some historians believe the house where the haunting took place is in Machias Port, Maine, but others claim that it took place in Sullivan, which is a little over an hour away by car. Not sure that it matters to our story, but you often hear this haunting being referred to as the Michias Port Haunting. I personally think it took place in Sullivan, so we're not going to refer to it as Michias Port anymore. That whole area of Maine is legendary 
for having spirit activity. There are Native American stories passed down for centuries about strange happenings in the area. Not to mention, there's said to be some dangerous spirit activity as well. It's true. Northern Maine spirits will kill you dead. (laughs) Jeez, I'm not sure I want to go to Maine now. Yikes. Or do I? Check out the creepiness for myself. I read dozens of stories about Maine ghosts that kill. I want to tell you about two of the standouts, okay? Just to set the stage for how creepy the area can be. There is a story in the area about a woman killed in a car accident on prom night back in the 1970s. She was beheaded and her date's body was never found. Still earlier than that, and on the exact same spot as the accident, another woman was beheaded in the 1920s in a car accident. The parallels go back even further all the way back to the 1800s. A horse-drawn carriage was wrecked and beheaded a woman and killed her companion. In the exact same spot. What is with that particular spot? No one should go there. And especially, no one should drive there. It should be labeled on Google Maps. Seriously. Especially because now there is a headless woman who is seen often (laughs) around that same spot. Oh my God. Double reason not to drive there. Take a detour. Well, the travelers that perhaps don't know the story see a woman hitchhiking and she has no head. (laughs) Who is going to stop? People aren't going to stop for hitchhikers regardless because We've all seen that movie, right? (laughs) In the middle of the night on an eerily quiet road during a foggy full moon, you pull over to pick up the lone hiker glowing in your headlights, and then you die. Am I right? But say that lone hiker glowing in your headlights is a headless chick. Who is stopping? Well, the lore is that if you see her and don't stop, you will meet your death. So... (laughs) I guess you're screwed either way. Yeah, I'm going to take my chances. No way, no how am I stopping for the headless hiker chick. And which spirit is it? Is it the headless prom chick from the 70s or the chick from the 20s or the 1800s? My other favorite main story from the area is a family who built a new house in the 1980s. It was their dream come true. Except for one tiny detail that turned into a nightmare. Their creepy-ass contractor used fill dirt from an old cemetery. Seriously? Who was this contractor that he's stealing grave dirt to use in construction? Has anyone talked about this on his Yelp review? This should be part of the vetting process for a contractor. Try to weed out the psychos. Because that's just asking for weird spirit activity. I think we've all watched a certain poltergeist movie that illustrates this point. Am I right? Well, as suspected, family moves in, and of course, of course, weird things start happening. The couple's daughter starts wetting the bed. When the little girl is asked about it, the daughter finally admits that she has been terrorized by four children who would bully her and jump on her bed all night. The poor child would be held down and have a sock crammed down her throat by them, to stop her from screaming for help. Oh, that poor girl, the trauma. 
Oh, Maine and your creepiness. Of course, now I want to go there and check it all out. Now, let me take you back to 1799, to an early frontier settlement in creepy Maine, consisting of about 20 families. It was a tight-knit rural community of hardworking people, mostly farmers and sawmill workers. One of those families was the Blaisdells, a well-respected family of nine who lived in a house in the woods on over 100 acres. When their daughter Lydia was struck down with a mysterious illness, they started hearing some weird creaks and whispers around the house that gave them pause. (laughs) Yikes. Perhaps spooked them a bit, but they were able to explain them away, as we all do when we live in a haunted house. But of course, and I identified with this because I live in a very haunted house, there is a point when you hear an unfamiliar voice and it can't be explained away and you are forced to face the reality that you are in fact being haunted. This is what happened to Captain Abner Blaisdell and his family. After a year of hearing strange things in their cellar, which culminated around Lydia's illness, it seemed to evolve, get stronger. The family started making out words. It sounded female. Now, the Blaisdells were pious, church-going people, and Captain Blaisdell, a veteran of the Revolutionary War, was not one for foolhardy ideas. So finally, Captain Blaisdell decided to investigate further. He had had enough of the family being scared and thinking that their house was haunted. It's balderdash. Those noises are just, well, uh, they really do sound like a woman's voice. He had to man up and check it out for himself. See, I bet he was a little freaked out. Okay, here's the story. Just last night at the house I'm staying at, we had a possible paranormal encounter. In the dead ass of night, a door slammed shut with such force that it shook the entire house. Then I heard footsteps upstairs from a heavily sold stranger that walked around for the rest of the night. My kids were asleep, and it was not my Pomeranian who was asleep under my bed. And Boo-Boo doesn't wear shoes. (laughs) It freaked me out. I probably peed my pants a little. But I think it freaked out my husband, too. Maybe even more. He jumped out of bed immediately, went into fight mode. He walked the property all around the house. But there was nothing to be seen. My husband doesn't get scared. And I think Captain Blaisdell had his moments of fear as well. He must have. Hearing a strange woman talking to you from the cellar isn't natural. On January 2nd, 1800, he went down to the cellar to confront whatever or whomever was making the noise. He asked the disembodied voice who she was. To his astonishment, something answered him from out of thin air. It said, I am the dead wife of Captain George Butler, born Nellie Hooper. Captain Blaisdell knew both of those people. Nellie Butler and her baby had indeed perished a few years earlier from complications in childbirth. And Captain Butler was well known to Blaisdell. He was a neighbor. Oh, and more importantly, had the hots for his daughter, Lydia Blaisdell. Remember the girl whose illness seemed to trigger the paranormal activity? 
Hmm. Oh, and did I mention, Lydia was only 15. Butler had been trying to court her for at least two years. Gross. A lot of people mistakenly believe that it was commonplace for young teen girls to marry, but this is false. The average age of a woman marrying in 1800 was 20. Blaisdell was not cool with some older man trying it on with his young daughter. Not to mention, Captain Butler had a reputation. There was controversy surrounding the sudden deaths of Nellie Butler and her newborn baby. Many thought that Captain Butler had something to do with her untimely death, and there was even an informal inquest conducted. Captain Butler was cleared of any murder charges that may have befallen him. However, the finger-pointing and gossip quietly remained amongst the townspeople. Blaisdell was totally against Captain Butler and Lydia's courtship. Incidentally, Captain Butler's own father was also against him remarrying and seemed to have his own suspicions about his daughter-in-law and his grandchild's death. Was this the reason the ghost of Nellie Butler decided to haunt the Blaisdell home? Was this the makings of a love triangle where one of the involved was already dead? The spirit asked to see her father, who lived seven miles away. She also asked for her husband. How did those conversations go down? What was Blaisdell supposed to say to these people? Uh, your dead daughter is hanging out in my cold, creepy cellar. Come get her. I wonder the same thing about the ghosts in my house. Now, they have identified their names to me in EVP recordings. And when I checked the title report for my house... I was able to confirm that those names are of people who did in fact reside in my house. And more importantly, I was able to confirm that they were indeed deceased. <laughs> I've asked the spirits about their children, and when I did, I heard the spirit respond with my own ears. You can hear it on the video because I filmed it all. I'm always filming when I talk to them. It's going to be one of the videos I post on my YouTube channel, Toxic Content. Check it out. It's <laughs> extraordinary and terrifying. You hear an older female's voice and my lips aren't moving. And it's not my husband. It's clearly a female. But it did bring up questions for me. I tracked down the adult children of the spirits who claim to be their parents. I have their addresses and phone numbers. Do I contact them? Play the recordings for them? Would I want to know my mother was ghosting a family in my childhood home? And how exactly does that conversation go? Ring, ring, ring. Uh, hey, you don't know me. My name's Amy Brooks. I make horror films and have this uh, creepy podcast, but I'm not a weirdo. Pinky promise. Just called to say your parents are haunting me and my family. FYI. Click. <laughs> I'd love to know your opinion, though. DM me and let me know what I should do. I'm on the fence. Do I contact them? Get the story? Anyway, I'm on Instagram at Creepy Podcast. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you think. It can be scary hearing disembodied voices, especially those who directly answer your questions. Blaisdell was out of there, ran up the stairs, and locked the door behind him. The family tried to go about their business, but it was hard to ignore the rapping on the walls and voices coming from the cellar. 
The six Blaisdell children moved all of their mattresses into the master bedroom to hide out from the spirit. They were scared. Of course they were scared. Up until this point, no one had seen the ghost. They'd only heard the ghost. That changed quickly. In the field one day, during the light of day, I might add, the spirit materialized in front of one of the Blaisdell's sons, Paul. That kid booked it and ran as fast as he could, terrified, and reported that it seemed to float behind him and chase him. Strangely, the spirit confronted him in the cellar later that night, demanding to know why he had run away so rudely and had not acknowledged her presence. That's a little scary. If I was Paul, I wouldn't go anywhere near the cellar especially after being chased in a field by the ghost. The spirit started appearing around the house, but soon stopped, becoming aware that it had frightened the children. The spirit spoke to the family and promised to stay in the cellar. It seemed to understand the need for the family to have their own space, and it seemed particularly keen on not scaring the children further. Uh, Plus, Mrs. Blaisdell's nerves were shot, never knowing when and where the spirit would show up. (laughs) terrifying. If she didn't drink before, she certainly was drinking now. The family started regularly conversing with their new uninvited friend. It would knock before appearing to them as if announcing itself. The spirit talked of spirituality and God, praying often with them and singing biblical hymns. The voice of the spirit was described as shrill, but milk and pleasant. (laughs) Shrill to me is never pleasing, but I guess you had to be there. The spirit asked repeatedly for her father and husband to be summoned before her. Blaisdell was unsure of how to proceed because this was unprecedented. The Bible does not support the idea of a deceased person remaining earthbound as a ghost. He was fearful of a possible reprisal against him and his family by the town. Now, you have to understand, this was before the spiritualist movement in the U.S., where it became in vogue to believe in such things. That didn't start until around the 1840s, when mediumship and communing with the spirits was popularized by the Fox sisters in New York. In fact, there's still a spiritualist movement today with the National Spiritualist Association of Churches. I would argue that spiritualism is very popular today because If we're honest, I believe we all have a curiosity about ghosts and hauntings. It is a core fascination because it conjures our own interest in our mortality and what lies beyond this life. Although, I do not want to become a ghost. I especially do not want to be around to haunt my husband's next younger potential wife, Amy 2.0. Who wants to watch that? I am a jealous person. No way. More likely, I would be a total cock blocker keeping them apart and scaring the new hotties. Maybe I'll be like (laughs) those bully ghosts from the graveyard dirt story and jump on beds and shove socks in people's mouths. (laughs) That's sure to keep my husband single. Hear that, babe? No more wives after me. Sorry. I'll haunt you. (laughs) Blaisdell relented and fetched Nellie Butler's parents and husband. (laughs) God only knows what he told them. They all went down to the basement with the intention of discrediting the haunting. Naturally, at first, Nellie's parents were skeptical. But as soon as the spirit spoke, 
Nellie's mother, Joanna Hopper, was convinced that the voice was that of her departed daughter, Eleanor, known to most as Nellie. The spirit asked her parents if they would like to see her. (laughs) They both declined. Now, why didn't they want to see? I would want to see my daughter's spirit. Then the ghost started talking about what happened right before Nellie had died, the conversation Nellie had had with her mother on her deathbed. Joanna had asked if she wanted her baby to live. Oh, man, what kind of question is that? Well, Nellie had responded, I would be a vile creature should I desire the life of the child when at that time it is God's will. That is a very specific conversation. Joanna had never told anyone the words uttered by her dying daughter. She thought it was a miracle and, quote, never was seen since Christ on earth. Oh, and one creepy thing that I read in the account by Nellie's father was that the spirit asked him if he would like to join it in death, like it was going to kill him right there and take his soul somewhere. It was very creepy. News spread quickly about what was happening in the Blaisdell cellar. People came to check it out for themselves. The Blaisdell cellar became the place to be. It was entertainment, thrilling to some, scary to others, like seeing a scary paranormal film, except you're hanging out with a real ghost. People referred to the ghost as the specter, and it was described as being white as the light and moving like a cloud, hovering slightly above the ground. She appeared in the day and at night. When she appeared at night in the pitch black cellar, she literally glowed and would light up the room. And one woman's account being in the dark cellar, she said that everyone around her was unrecognizable in the darkness. But when the specter appeared, she could see the color of their clothes and facial features. Why were they hanging out in the dark down there? That is, oh, God, it's so creepy. Ah, The specter generated light. The specter's voice had no indication of breath and was distinct from any voice of the living. You heard me describe it before as being shrill yet milk and pleasing. Her family attested that the voice sounded like Nellie did on her deathbed. People had a variety of experiences each time they encountered the specter. Sometimes they would see a light, but no ghost, while someone else would see a ghost. At other times, they would see a ghost and hear sound, but not be able to make out any understandable articulation, while others would. Others would hear and understand plainly, but see nothing. Everyone who saw the ghost agreed it looked identical to Nellie Butler. although. Sometimes the size of the ghost would change. It would appear small and then grow in size. Weird. Sometimes the ghost would wear a white flowing robe, sometimes a white dress and bonnet, and sometimes she would be seen carrying a ghost baby. Ooh. The bravest of the Spectre's fans would ask if they could touch her, and it would always say, put your hands upon me. You know, in that shrill, buttery voice of it. And when someone would reach out to it, their hand would literally go right through the ghost, like in a movie. It had no mass. God, it's wild. I wonder if I would have been that brave. If I would have been one of those people who would try to touch the ghost. Maybe there's a feeling of safety in numbers. 
I read one account where the ghost asked everyone to form a line and the ghost walked towards them and then walked through them all, ending behind them. (laughs) It's freaky. It seems like parlor tricks to me, but the ghost was extremely interested in having everyone believe in its existence. When a woman came to the house and announced that even though she could hear the voices and they sounded like those of her departed friend, she would never be a believer unless she could actually see something. I guess she was one of the ones that couldn't see it. Well, the specter then appeared out of nowhere in front of her and said, is there someone here that is requesting to see me? Oh man, I would have screamed. Nellie Butler's sister went to the Blaisdell's house to check it out for herself. If her dead sister had returned, the ghost spoke. I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. I'm not sure what that even means, but it does sound ghostly and super creepy. Sally Wentworth, Nellie's sister, said that she recognized the voice, but felt uneasy by the experience. The specter chastised her to the crowd of onlookers. One guy asked if Sally was close to Jesus. The specter seemed to joke. <sighs> Quote, she thinks that she is. She is my sister. I think that's probably a dig on the sister, and the spirit did it in front of a crowd of people. It's kind of nasty. Maybe sibling rivalry never goes away, even in death. There was another man who questioned why the specter only appeared at the Blaisdell home and not anyone else's property. He also accused Mrs. Blaisdell of throwing her voice and impersonating the ghost. The ghost became indignant and called for her fans to file in a line like a funeral procession lined up two by two in a line. It said that it would go walk next to Mrs. Blaisdell so all could see. And everyone did this. They followed the strange request. They lined up and watched as Mrs. Blaisdell walked next to the ghost. The ghost instructed that they all sing a hymn, and they marched over to the skeptic's house. (laughs) That must have been a sight watching that group of people with their ghost friend walking up to your house singing loudly. And it was. Oh, the man was convinced and apologized, personally apologized. The ghost demanded that he denounce Mrs. Blaisdell as a fake and clear her name, which he did. (laughs) That poor guy. He didn't stand a chance. He's hanging out at his house, looking out the window and sees the ghost. Then she confronts him and makes him apologize and profess his belief in her. It's a wild story. But there are a couple dozen sworn witnesses. On one occasion, there were a few skeptics gathered that apparently were causing a bit of a ruckus and used some curse words in the cellar. This was said to appall the specter and anger it. The specter disappeared for over two months, finally reappearing and refusing to appear again before non-believers. Well, it seemed to have most people convinced, except for one person in the town who was still not a believer, the local preacher who thought his congregation was under the spell of a demon or at the very least lost their minds. He was extremely troubled by the ghost hysteria that had plagued the town. His name was Reverend Abraham Cummings, and he was described as a Harvard grad noted for his learning and piety. Hmm, that is quite an Instagram bio. 
Mine says creating podcasts and videos that may give you nightmares. Hmm. <laughs> it sounds a lot better than mine. Let's talk about Nellie's husband, Captain Butler. He believed that the spirit was indeed that of his late wife. It had related a story to him that only the couple would have known about. Apparently, on their wedding night, Nellie had told Butler that she couldn't be any happier unless she had married Jesus himself. <laughs> that is specific. And I don't know, kind of an odd thing to say on your honeymoon night, but having the hots for Jesus Christ, you know? Not sure what the Bible has to say about that. The ghost also reminded Butler of one tiny factoid that on her deathbed, he had promised to never marry again should she die. See, is that the reason why Nellie's spirit conveniently showed up at the new girlfriend's house? Why didn't she just show up at her old house and just haunt her husband? Nellie had a prediction. Her prediction was that Captain Butler and Lydia Blaisdell would be wed. Blaisdell, at this point, was still firmly against their courtship. And now, Lydia was becoming a bit weirded out that her crush's dead wife was putting the spotlight on her. Very awkward. The spirit became obsessive about her ex and Lydia getting married and went into full matchmaker mode. She released her ex from his promise of never remarrying. Lydia, <sighs> she backed off. She was quoted as saying, I will not marry a man who has been scared into proposing by a ghost. And rightly so. <laughs> she was being pressured to marry by the dead ex-wife of her boyfriend, chastised by her dad, and perhaps worse yet, the gossip mill was starting to churn out some pretty upsetting stories about her. People were speculating that Lydia somehow was impersonating the specter to nab a husband. Not sure how a 15-year-old girl in 1800 would have been sophisticated enough to create a light and audio performance that fooled so many people. In a cellar, in the middle of nowhere, without electricity. But that was the talk. Lydia wanted to run away. She tried, even, but gave up when the specter announced in front of a large crowd that it was useless to flee that her fate had been sealed. Ah, oh. Butler proposed to Lydia, and the ghost went to work on Lydia's parents. After some convincing, the opposition Blaisdell had was lifted, and he, uh, he actually agreed to allow Butler to marry his little girl. The ghost broke him down. He had been bitterly opposed to the union, but the ghost worked him hard. Now, why was the ghost so obsessed with Lydia and Butler getting married anyway? That, that was bizarre to me. Well, the story has another twist. The day after the wedding, the ghost appeared to her ex-husband and told him that Lydia was with child. Oh, honeymoon baby. Next, she told him a darker prediction, that he would not have her for long as she was fated to die in childbirth. Oh my God. Did he keep that little prediction to himself or share it with Lydia? What exactly was the spirit's game here? It was hell-bent on the two of them getting hitched, knowing what would happen if they got married, that Lydia would die. If the spirit had shared that little prediction before they got married, Lydia 
could have gone about her childhood and had a normal 19th century teen life, perhaps living beyond the age of 16. Was something sinister afoot here? Remember the accusations that Butler had murdered Nellie? Some witnesses who had been alone with the specter, having a private conversation, claimed that the specter had indicated that she had indeed died as the result of foul play. Was this a revenge plot to marry her husband off with a woman who would be doomed by the match? The ghost predicted several deaths and seemed to know when people had already died. On one occasion, the ghost told Captain Blaisdell that his father had just died. His father lived 200 miles away, so you can't exactly pick up a phone and check on him in 1800. Sadly, one week later, News came that Blaisdell's father did, in fact, die. No one in the town would have known, though. With an audience of over 100, the specter foretold to all the imminent death of Lydia and gave future death dates for Blaisdell's wife and her ex, Captain Butler. I don't think this party in the cellar was fun for anyone anymore, especially Lydia. She must have been terrified. People continued the ghost fan club, though, and would spend most of the night into the early morning with the ghost, singing hymns and getting preached to by the ghost about the dangers of sin. Sounds kind of cultish, doesn't it? And how did the Blaisdells feel about the parade of people hanging out at their house at all hours of the night? And what did they think about the prediction about Lydia's death? I would have been demanding some serious answers from that creepy spirit bitch. The predictions about Lydia finally came true. She gave birth to a baby and died in childbirth. The ghost that called herself Nellie Butler remained. So any rumors that it was Lydia trying to fake the town out to get herself a husband stopped. But it would not leave. That poor family. (sighs) The Blaisdells had to deal with some creepy ex-wife ghost of their now son-in-law hanging around while they're trying to mourn. And what must have been infuriating to them is that this stupid ghost orchestrated the whole scenario, which resulted in Lydia's death. And the ghost got super preachy and annoying, too, constantly singing hymns and quoting the Bible. One can only imagine how irritated the family must have been by their lingering houseguest. They must have thought at times that this thing was a demon. But the family stated time and again that they prayed and had faith that if there was an evil presence among them, that God would let them know. I'm thinking that this thing claiming to be the ghost of Nellie Butler 100% could have been a demon. Something, I don't know, just think about it. How aggressive it got with the Blaisdell's son in the field and how it was constantly obsessed with people believing in it and giving it power. The topper for me, though, is all the stuff with Lydia. It seemed to have targeted her. It just happened to show up when Lydia was deathly ill and then just happened to convince everyone, including Lydia, that she should be married to Butler. Hmm. I know most of the witnesses were convinced that this specter was their dead friend, neighbor, and loved one. But if you believe in demons... Knowing personal intel on humans and being able to impersonate one is definitely in the purview of a demon. 
they exist to trick people and cause havoc and distress in people's lives. And it could be debated that this so-called specter definitely did that. Things got weird. Or even weirder, I should say. This is all a super weird situation. The ghost demanded that her dead baby be reinterred for a reason only understandable by the specter. She did not want her own body to be removed, which, oddly enough, was buried in a field in an unmarked grave and not the local cemetery, where most of the townspeople and witnesses are buried. Hmm. Very strange. Over a hundred people came out and watched the super creepy digging up of the baby's body and subsequent reburial of the baby at the location deemed more suitable by the spirit. The ghost appeared before all and sang hymns with them, quoted Bible scripture, and prayed. Captain Butler got weird, too. He set out all of Lydia's things on a boat on the lake by his house and lit it on fire. He says he did it out of mourning. Well, the Blaisdells saw the burning boat filled with their recently deceased daughter's personal items, and they saw it as strange. You think? It was an affront to Lydia's memory and their family. I wonder if the specter told him to do it. The Blaisdells never spoke to Butler again. So much drama. The ghost that called itself Nellie Butler showed up one last time in Sullivan, Maine, to its bigot's critic. The Reverend Abraham Cummings was so upset that the town was turning to this so-called ghost for spiritual enlightenment instead of the church that he decided it was finally time to debunk this hoax himself. He took a trip to the Blaisdell's house, but was startled to meet with the specter face to face in a field. He was alone. This is how he described the encounter. White rocks floated up from the ground, joined together and took the shape of a rose-tinged orb, which suddenly flashed and manifested into the form of a child-sized woman. The figure expanded to normal size with rays of light shining from her head and reaching to the ground. After a moment, the figure vanished and he, (laughs) Reverend Cummings, was forever a changed man. Cummings thought people wouldn't believe his encounter, so he urged a group to join him and call upon her again. The ghost never returned. To the dismay of the specter's admirers, what were they going to do now on Friday nights? These uh, ghost meetings had become their social life. Some think that the ghost of Nellie Butler moved on after her mission was completed by getting everyone in the town, even the reverend, to believe in it, go against all of his biblical teachings and held fast beliefs. Reverend Cummings maintained until his dying day that his biggest regret was not speaking with the ghost and asking it questions about the spirit world, questions we all have but definitely questions a man of the cloth has about life after death and subsequently the meaning of life. As an ardent believer and former skeptic, he took it upon himself to document and become the official biographer of Nellie Butler's ghost, publishing a book on all the encounters experienced by the witnesses. Thanks to Cummings, this is one of the most documented paranormal events on record. I read it and it was pretty fascinating. Captain Butler remarried Mary Guggins in 1805, 
and went on to have seven babies with her. Mary survived and didn't meet the same ill fate as the two previous Mrs. Butlers. The ghost of Nellie Butler never returned to Sullivan, Maine. But the ghost story lives on. The old Blaisdell house is gone now. Bizarrely, all that remains are remnants of stone steps that would have led to the creepy cellar where an entity, whether it was indeed the ghost of Nellie Butler or something less human and more sinister, chose to move in and change the lives of an unsuspecting family forever. So watch out if you ever hear knocking in your basement. It might be some creepy ghost ready to cause drama in your life. Do you have a creepy true crime or paranormal story that you would like to share on Amy Keeps a Creepy? I know you do. Please email a brief description of your story to info at creepypodcast.com. I can't wait to get creeped out. Thank you for listening. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.